You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. A new week upon us. Penn State still in search of win number one for the 2020 season. It's week five. We're creeping up towards Thanksgiving. Uh, back against the wall, we are beyond that for this Nittany Lions program. They are trying to avoid the first 0-5 start in program history. A reminder, this is a team that dates back 134 years, so a long span of football that has been played and never to get to that point. For only a second time, they are 0-4, and that's where this conversation starts. Uh, we're going to get into the quarterback conversation, a starting member of the defense that was missing against Nebraska, a couple different tweaks on the depth chart that we saw on the offensive line in particular, and some stats that jump out to us midway through this 2020 season that help explain why Penn State is where they are at. Sean, uh, snow outside, Iowa coming to town. It feels like big time Big Ten football is brewing, but instead here in Happy Valley, it's more just like, is this team going to go win a game? Yeah, the wind is out, the sun is out, the, the snow is out. So yes, it must be Iowa week, which is funny because I just opened my phone. It's supposed to be 61 on Friday and 57 on Saturday in State College. So not exactly November football weather, but uh, I guess we're just going to throw a little thing, a little bit of everything out there. What we're wondering right now is who's James Franklin's going to throw out there as Penn State's starting quarterback. He had his uh, Tuesday afternoon press conference, just got done a little bit ago, actually. And uh no surprise he's not going to commit to making an announcement if he doesn't have to, which, you know, if you follow James Franklin or you follow most uh, college football coaches across the country, unless they're forced to do something, they're not going to do it. So not a surprise, but I think he left plenty to read between the lines uh, during his press conference this afternoon. Yeah, he's not only did he say decision hadn't been made, he also added no decision has been announced. I think when a decision has been made, and, and let's remember that, that this team hasn't even conducted a practice to this point um, going into Tuesday, and we've only gotten one player, Jesse Lucetta, so far this week, so haven't heard much from the team. I'd imagine they're going to keep, uh, you know, keep this uh, under close conversation whenever they do reach a decision. I really don't anticipate knowing uh, fully, Sean, until we're actually watching this thing go down in Beaver Stadium from the press box on Saturday. We'll get, we're going to get James Franklin again, as we always do on Wednesday evening after practice. Uh, they'll have a couple uh, on-field sessions under their belts by then, but I fully anticipate, much like Nebraska did last week, that each of the times we hear from the head coach over the course of the week where there's a quarterback conversation being had, it's going to be about evaluating that group having conversations with the players, with the coaches, and then getting to a point where you're going to go with the guy that you think gives you the best chance to win this specific week. And um, certainly it would be hard to, I don't want to say it would be completely all out shocking, but it'd be hard to wrap your head around it if he sends Sean Clifford back out there with the first team offense to start this matchup against Iowa based on how the season has gone for Sean uh, based on the spark they got from Will Levis, as, although as I said on the postgame podcast Saturday, I'm always wary to to suggest that a spark like that will carry over into the following game. Um, but but yeah, kind of what you would anticipate from James Franklin, although I think a lot of people out there, no, no surprise at that, 
were very angry, frustrated that Franklin did not outright change the starting quarterback because they're frustrated uh, and they want James Franklin to kind of make that kind of uh, definitive statement just to, to clarify things. But it was never going to happen. And he made that clear coming off the first question from our Mark, Mark Brennan. Yeah, it sounds like uh, he says the competition will go on this week. You know, Iowa obviously going to have to prepare for both. I think it's probably a little bit more difficult to prepare for Will Levis because you don't have much tape on him. You kind of have to take a different approach uh, in the running game. I know Sean Clifford was efficient in the running game at times, but if Will Levis is out there, it gives you something a little bit more uh, I don't know, uh, just sort of hammer and nail to prepare for. He gets tough yardage, and that's one thing that Penn State's really struggled without Noah Kane is is getting tough yardage in the run game. And uh, he did that on Saturday. Like I said, he played more confident everywhere. Um, and you you can't he can't ignore that, right? I mean, that's that that's really the thing, um, that you took away from that game. And you know, there's a theory with with backup quarterbacks that can come in and you know change the 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 director direction of the game. Um, cause you don't have film, you're not preparing, you didn't spend that much time preparing them and they have an advantage, et cetera. But at the same time, Sean Clifford has basically been a walking turnover for, through the first four weeks of the season. Will Levis, you got to give him a shot. And, and given what Penn State's playing for right now, which is not much, I mean, I, I assume that would be the, the direction that they want to go in on Saturday. We spent a lot of time on this subject Saturday in the post-game podcast. If you missed that one, you want a kind of a more deeper dive into to what this team's looking at with Will Levis, with Sean Clifford, with really long-term, with Kirk Shiraka and James Franklin and the decisions they need to make in these next five weeks of games and how that might be a springboard toward their approach in a pivotal offseason for this program, uh, specifically at that position and dictating what you want to do there. Um, but you know, we're not going to go as deep around, uh, th- this time around Sean, but I-, I will say something he, he said here, a couple things he said kind of mirrored what we were talking about on Saturday. Um, the touch on throws from Levis is an issue that's going to be a paramount part of his process and his progression at the quarterback position. If he wants to truly prove that he can be a complete package at quarterback rather than a guy who can run the ball really effectively, has some juice in that arm, but you can't really rely on him to sustain drives over the course of games and, and, and get that ball in the tight windows when it matters, specifically in the red zone, which was a huge issue uh, on Saturday when, when things uh, shrink up and, and uh, you ultimately those mistakes are magnified and, and your ability to be precise and have that touch is magnified. The other thing he said, and it's something I probably haven't heard applied to a runner for Penn State since, and you wrote this down, since Noah Kane, is that Levis always seems to be falling forward, uh, turning uh, no gains into two-yard gains, turning three-yard gains into five-yard gains. This was something that he talked highly about Noah Kane as Kane started to emerge as a runner last year. Now, I still don't think that's the solution for Penn State long-term is, is having your quarterback run 15-plus times a game and get beat up over the course of a season. But right now, you're searching for a win. You're searching for an effective playmaker at that spot. No turnovers, the rushing ability. Um, you know, it, it's it's an interesting combination. But, uh, you know, I, again, I, I don't necessarily think that the key for Penn State in here and, and into 2021 is – Man, he's a good runner. You got to have more than that, the quarterback position. And the door, if he gets 
tapped as the starter as we pretty much anticipate if he's the starter he's gonna have the entire you know world of possibilities in front of him with his Penn State career if he can capture the moment and effectively orchestrate this offense for Kirk Shiraka yeah and it's gonna come down to the the little things I mean we talked about the red zone at length on the postgame podcast just looking more into some uh some stats about that I mean they were I think two of 11 last week against Nebraska that's certainly not going to get it done especially with the the low percentage passes that you're throwing I mean he's got a you're talking uh, passing two for eleven, right? Yes, passing two for Is eleven. That, yeah, and oh, and seven consecutive incompletions to finish the game inside the fifteen. Yeah, not ideal. You should, probably probably shouldn't have done that. Um, but uh, yeah, they've got to be more efficient running and passing in the red zone. But that's just uh, you know, that's another step that I mean, you you got to get your you got to get your first uh, first priorities in line before you get to that. So yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do. Uh, I'm not going to say there's a full playbook available to him or anything like that, but you know, it's different when you're a starter. It's different when you're out there. Arm strength, obviously, not an issue. Um, you know, is he is he going to trust that arm? Maybe more than most, uh, probably should. But and in the other times, it's probably going to come back the other way. Uh, so it, there's really no. I, it's it's going to be very tough to forecast, especially what we saw out of Levis last year against Rutgers. Um, you know, it, you know, he kind of did the same thing against Ohio State, kept Penn State in the game or kept Penn State around the game, um, and then had he came out and kind of laid an egg against Rutgers. So uh, the the precedent that he set not great, but at the same time, I mean, your own four. What what else are you going to do? You've got some some sort of probably the most momentum or the most uh, confidence that you've had from the, the rest of that team coming off of this last Nebraska game so uh make it a run see what you can do with it because that's uh that's a, a position that if you don't get fixed now it's it's going to take a long long time flashback to that regular season finale against Rutgers last year it turned out to be a 27 to 6 win Penn State didn't really gain separation until later in the contest but Levis was 8 of 14 passing for 81 yards had a touchdown throw to Jahan Dotson had an interception along the way uh, and again, it was his, his legs that they really leaned upon at the position. 17 carries, 108 yards against Rutgers, about six and a half yards per carry. So he's got a lot to prove as a passer. Uh, that certainly carries over from the Nebraska outcome and, and what we saw take place there. But um, yeah, maybe a guy that can rally you a bit on offense and uh, and, and that can kind of trickle over to what they want to accomplish on defense. Before we bury Sean Clifford here, it, it is set as an awkward week of sorts. And if this transition does happen, uh, because like we saw with Nebraska last week, you are now Adrian, Mart- uh, Adrian Martinez, I want to say a lot more accomplished statistically in his career. And he's a third year starter, but a two time team captain. And, and those don't come around very often. And when you're the quarterback, that captain's hat's just a little bit different. So to have that guy relegated to a sideline role, that's a major adjustment for Penn State, you know, and, and really just since Tommy Stevens stepped away from, from this team in April 2019, there's been kind of a gravitation towards Sean Clifford being, you know, the, the, the trigger man on, on offense and the, the competitive guy uh, on and off the field and someone who's going to be that leader. And, you know, it gets a little trickier to be that kind of locker room presence when you're a backup. So, you know, very, it could be an awkward week and we'll see how Sean's handling that feedback I've heard has been good. Uh, but, but certainly just not where you want it to be if you're Sean, not where you want to be if you're Penn State. Didn't want to have to be making this decision. And sadly, it's, it's not a situation where you're looking at a rising star forcing this team's hand and saying, we get, we, we love what Sean's doing, but this guy can be really special. This is something I talked about before. You see it sometimes with some of these top college programs because they've recruited over their current starter and their current starter might be pretty good. This is a matter of the starting quarterback falling and losing his job. And that's never where you want to be uh, four games into your season. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to be a delicate situation this week, but you you can't look at it objectively and argue that you know he should still be trotted out there. I mean, you've got to try something else, and I think that's what we'll see this week. And like I said, Franklin's not going to acknowledge it until he has to, which is you know essentially the first offensive play of the game. I'm sure he'll tip his hand in warmups or whatever, but uh, yeah, I mean, this has got to be a situation where you you got to see what you have on that roster because you've got to figure out. I mean, even even we, as much as we talked about Taquan Roberson, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. see a situation where he gets in there. But you you want to see what you have and, you know, see what what happens when the live bullets start flying, because, you know, you just look back a year and a half ago and you thought you had something pretty good in Sean Clifford. And obviously that's uh, that hasn't turned out to uh, to come to fruition. We're just about a year removed, maybe exactly the date this week at some point to where Sean Clifford was throwing three first half touchdowns in a whiteout win over Michigan to go on to continue unbeaten. It's just remarkable to see where it is a year later for the program and for him and We'll talk about more with this quarterback situation uh, later in the week on our second podcast, previewing the matchup. And by the way, we'll have another uh, opposing analyst on to talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes and and what they're doing here in 2020. But we continue our focus internally on Penn State. There are 21 other starting jobs aside from quarterback, Sean. And one uh, suddenly belongs to redshirt freshman Caden Wallace. Maybe not so sudden because we've heard great things about his progress really since he got to campus as a top 100 overall prospect in the 2019 class. And it's been very easy to see the physical transformation. I think they've been very pleased with the fundamental process that he's undergone as well. And he's played a little guard on the practice field. We've seen him at tackle and settling in quite nicely opposite of Rasheed Walker uh, at right tackle now. And there's a lot of offensive line coaches out there who, who envy Phil Troutwine. He's got two former top 100 overall recruits at those bookend spots with Caden Wallace on the right side and then Rasheed Walker on the left. It seemed to get a little bit going last week with Wall- with Wallace coming into the game. Uh, Wallace and Walker is going to trip me up at some point. But uh, it, it's really interesting that um, this is not how we expected this to come about. I mean, all the questions were about Will Fries and would Wallace be able to, to leap Will Fries and, and whatever. But now all of a sudden, C.J. Thorpe has kind of fallen by the wayside. and He's a, sec- a second teamer on the depth chart this week. Fries sliding into guard. I think Franklin made a pretty important point that, you know, you keep Fries out there beside Wallace. It's going to help him out with the communication aspect, which, you know, just basically looking at uh, that run, that Ohio State and Maryland run, communication seemed to be an issue up front. So um, I'm excited to see it. I mean, you've got obviously got a talented kid there in Wallace. You want to get him more experience and, and figure out what uh, what you've got in him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's it's been very different this year. I think the tackles have been solid. Uh, the interior has left something to be desired. The offensive line has probably been made to look worse by, you know, uh, basically <laughs> comes back to Clifford again. Uh, they, they, they've been made to look worse by, uh, by the way that everybody else has played. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see some progress there. I'm excited to see what Wallace is able to do. We've heard about the talent. We've seen, you know, flashes of that when we were allowed to go to practice and things like that, but it's going to be, it, it's going to be a step forward, I think. And I, I don't know what's going to happen with CJ Thorpe. He's obviously, um, seems to be in a bit of a doghouse situation. And, and on top of that, just wasn't playing well to begin with. We've seen Des Holmes and J- Juice Scruggs at guard at times. We saw uh, Olu Fashanu made the depth chart this week. So seems to be some um, experimentation on the uh, on the horizon for Penn State on the offensive line. That was that was a pretty big offensive line class that Penn State brought in this year. We 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 said you know the whole way through. Don't expect anybody to go out and, and burn a red shirt. And then there were no red shirts, and it was still don't expect to see the freshman class make an impact. But 
for the first time on the three deep, we do see one of those true freshmen, Olu Fashanu, um, uh, kind of surface. So something that that's interesting and gives you a little bit of a, a peek into what may be occurring on the practice field, something that we're just not getting this year. Normally we'd be out there for a nice 15 minute span uh, on Wednesdays and don't know what we normally see, but sometimes you can pick some things up and that's that's off the books this year right now, given the situation. Um, so we do get some tidbits, though, from the uh, from the Franklin press conferences if we get to ask the right questions. And something else that came up today that uh, it was a big number, a pretty staggering number, 39 false positives, James Franklin reports, from COVID-19 testing. Uh, that factored in players, that factored in staff members, where you've got uh, analysts and GAs, I would imagine, stepping up and, and having to c- command a position group over the course of a practice. I don't know what the uh, the balance has been in terms of how, how often it's been coaches or how often it's been players but that's a problem and and the the term that we've heard pop up in the past throughout this year for a lot of college football programs but specifically here at Penn State is roller coaster and Franklin says when you have these false positives and guys getting yanked out of practice sessions and you know wondering where their status is for the game week it takes them through this emotional toll and you know it it's I, I don't know what the numbers look like elsewhere but that's that's a lot to juggle for any coaching staff across America it would be really interesting if we were at practice we almost would have to take a roster in every week and sort of check off all these different guys because you just 39 false positives I mean that's it seems like a lot to me. I, I don't know the the comparable numbers across the country, and that includes players and staffers and things like that. But I mean, you you, you take a link out of the chain, and and obviously some some bad things are going to happen. So um, I mean, that's just another 2020 thing right on top of that, and it's it's unfortunate. I mean, you, you got to deal with it. Let's be honest with you. I, you know, I'm sure. Penn State's far from the only program in the country dealing with false positives, but at the same time, I mean, if you take uh, you take links out of the chain, man, it's uh, it's tough to deal with. So um, I'm, I'm not sure where the end of this conversation is. I mean, we don't talk a ton of COVID on here, but it's it's just another thing to deal with, and and honestly. To be honest with you, the the Tuesday press conferences have become a lot of big picture sort of non football stuff, and that's kind of sucks uh, from our from our standpoint because we like to talk as much football as possible but uh just the things keep piling up for for Penn State and things keep piling up and you know so do the losses I guess Mark Brennan uh, does a great job compiling these Penn State COVID-19 test results um as they come out and it's been a bit of a rough go for Center County and and you see a lot of things spiking across the country credit though to the, the athletic department I know these false positives are frustrating but uh over the the last period they gave us October 31st to November 6th about 2,300 tests, Sean, six were positive. Uh, and before that, it was almost 7,000 tests in the previous seven periods with only 67 positive. So you're looking at one per- less than 1% more recently, uh, somewhere around 0.2, 0.3% uh, of, of tests that were coming back positive. So overall, and, and a lot of sacrifice goes into this. There's a lot of new protocol that, that is in place for this, and the Big Ten's been very stringent. Um, but this is a, an unfortunate ramification of those efforts is you get these false positives. We may not know if there's been others in games. We just know that in week one, an unnamed player uh, did deal with a false positive that kept him out of that Indiana matchup. Um, aside from that, as far as we know, it's affected the practice field more than game days. Um, and, and to dispel any potential rumors in that regard, I saw some people wondering, did Tariq Castro-Fields 
maybe have a false positive on Saturday. We know uh, that he had an, an injury, and that goes back to, to the Maryland matchup a week before. He exited early in the second half. Before that, through the first two and a half games, Sean, uh, no defensive back was was seen as many snaps as Tariq Castro-Fields was at cornerback, a second-year starter there. Um, didn't end up back game against Maryland. You thought maybe that's attributed to the, the blowout circumstances. Made the trip to Lincoln, participated in pregame. Not sure to what extent he participated, but he was in full uniform out there and did not get the green light to play. They were hoping maybe a game-time decision. Keaton Ellis finally saw action, and he saw a lot of it. Um, in week four against Nebraska, getting that starting nod. But uh, Castro Fields, who, by the way, this week got invited and accepted an invitation to the Senior Bowl, um, to not have him available is big because as much as talent is out there at cornerback, it's a young group, uh, not tremendously experienced. And uh, on the road, you know, that's a significant loss. Uh, not like Nebraska torched them through the air, but you want to get Tariq Castro Fields back in your defensive backfield as soon as it's it's possible. And we don't know if that's Iowa, but it sounds like it wasn't significant enough of an injury to keep him back home or to not dress him and have him out there participating uh, during pregame. Yeah, it sounds like he was close. So that's uh, encouraging yeah. to hear that. And I think the other thing is if you see a guy on the sidelines, if he's in pads or uniform, whatever, Thank he you, has yes. not had a, he has not had a false positive. Cause then once Bingo. those guys have the false positive or have the initial negative test, uh, you know, or excuse me, have the initial positive test, they're taken away. And that's what happened. Cause we talked about Cam Sullivan Brown as a potential guy with a false positive in the, in week one. And he was obviously there, there and dressed. So he, it's not going to be it. So, uh, medically unavailable obviously means some sort of injury, uh, uh injury, protocol or something like that so um, hopefully we see him back in in uniform this week I mean the corners pretty well held their own I don't think Nebraska is a team that's going to scare any cornerback groups but pretty much held their own uh, when they were out there on Saturday so hopefully Castro Fields is back hopefully we continue to see more Keaton Ellis and and of course Joey Porter Jr. so uh, you know those guys get healthy it's gonna it's gonna be big for for the stretch coming up. Iowa is a team that wants to run the ball and run the ball a lot. 24 pass completions combined in their two wins the last couple of weeks. Again, we'll talk about them more later in the week. Um, Sean, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got some stats to dive into that have kind of defined this Penn State season. A little bit of recruiting, and we'll finish off with our five-star mailbag. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One month into the season, Penn State fans, Penn State analysts, Penn State themselves searching for answers on what has gone wrong and led to an 0-4 start, and one that has you know not really been that close in some of these matchups. Um, Sean, you dove into the numbers a bit to, to try to find some defining themes in that regard, and um, sometimes statistics you can use and manipulate. Other times, they're glaring and they're unavoidable, what they tell you. You produced a, a story right before we started recording here, nine stats that tell the story of Penn State's 0-4 start. A lot of these numbers stand out. 93 to 26 in the first half, they've been outscored. That's Mark Brennan asked about that in the postgame press conference on Saturday. I think that's a number that a lot of people are pointing to with regularity on this media beat this week. Major issue, double-digit deficits at halftime of every game thus far. What else stood out to you as you were compiling this piece? 
Oh, what else? Uh, well, I had to put the hip waders on to get into these. <laughs> Where to start? I, well, yeah. You know, stats are stats are funny because they're not always telling you the complete story. We saw that in the Indiana and Nebraska game when Penn State outgained the opponent and, you know, basically should have won both of those games and obviously did not. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, the things that, that Franklin's teams have done so well over the last couple of years, it's just flat out not doing it this year. Minus six in the turnover margin. I think that one's fairly obvious. Uh, you mentioned the 93 to 26 in the first half, but but um, it, it really wasn't as glaring until Nebraska, but 8 of 19 is Penn State's red zone touchdown rate. That's horrible. That's the 123rd out of 126 um, for, for the conversion rate, and that includes field goals. I mean, they've got they've had 19 trips into the red zone, scored 12 times, only eight of them touchdowns. That's not going to get it done. That's a big reason that they're, they're 0-4, have not been very efficient uh, passing the ball in there. Uh, 12 of 28 passing for 107 yards and six touchdowns. Now they got, you know, a couple of touchdowns right from the t- – actually, Penn State's uh, optimum – field position is right at the 20 or 21 because I think four, three or four touchdowns this year have been from that distance. Um, but aside from that, I mean, everything gets tighter. James Franklin talked about this on Tuesday. Everything gets so much tighter. You've got uh, you've got to go with touch. You've got to, you know, sometimes speed the ball in there. You've got to figure out a way to get the ball, you know, away from those defenders, but to your guys. And Penn State just frankly has been really bad at that. So, uh, and to add on top of that, five of 10 kicking field goals this year, um, you know, it just kind of, it all started with with that miss against Indiana when Jake Pinnegar hit the upright. I mean, it was kind of indicative of what was coming from from that. So offensively, I mean, you, you want to look at the red zone, the turnovers. It, these are very basic, simple categories, but I mean, these are very – Penn State's just getting pounded in these, in these, uh, these scenarios. You addressed there the inability to get the ball into the end zone uh, in those red zone situations so paramount. So is getting off the field when your opponent is facing a third down situation. I mean, that was so obvious. Justin Fields in Ohio State, I mean, how many times did he just come up with a big play on third down? But that has been consistent. As you note here, Penn State stop rate on third down right, right around 47%, 101st nationally. Yikes. That's not good, man. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it, it's been really, especially early in games. Uh, in the Maryland game, uh, Penn State gave up two third downs. One was a touchdown. In the Nebraska game, Penn State gave up two third downs. It was a touchdown, both on the first drive of the game. Uh, Indiana and Nebraska were identical in terms of four for 12 on third down, so pretty good there. But those two games at home, they got cooked. They got absolutely cooked, and I don't know what changes Brent Pry has to make or what changes they're they're looking at as a whole, but certainly cannot do that against Ohio State. Yeah, you know, you shouldn't be able to, you know, you shouldn't let Maryland come in and, and be able to do that to you. So third down defense, I mean, you you saw it. I think uh, McCaffrey was able to scramble and get out and, you know, convert a third and 10 and just kind of goes from there. And and you look at these sort of snowball stats, you, you know, you go from the third down rate, then you get, uh, you see that they've scored three touchdowns on opening drives out of four opening drives this year. And that 23, or the 93-26 first half point differential, it all kinds of runs together. And then all of a sudden you're playing from behind because, you know, you're only scoring 26 points in four games over the first half this year. So, I mean, it, it is just a mess. And Saw some better things against Nebraska, saw some positive things, but then again, it comes down and comes crashing down in the red zone. It's just one thing or another. This team just can't seem to get out of its way. Now, will that change with a, with a potential quarterback change? I think that certainly can help. Um, but when you're 
going out there, when you're turning the ball over, when you're not letting the offense off the the, the opposing offense off the field, you're just you're in your own way. And you're you know I think Bill Connolly said that Penn State should be two and two right now based on um, winning per- or expected winning percentage. I think they had a 99 percent chance to win both of those games or something like that. And all of a sudden they're zero and four. It's just it seems to be as bad as it looks. And that's um, going with the stats that matter. Stats some stats that don't matter. I mean Penn State's got most passing yards in the Big Ten right now. Tell me how that makes sense. So, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's so crazy how we break these things down. And then these ones that James Franklin's teams have been so good at field position, uh, chunk plays, penalties, it's just kind of all gone out the window this year. And it's been, it's been tough to watch. Just going through your numbers and then quickly looking back at 2019 when this team, you know, this time last year was unbeaten and they were on their way to, to, to 10 wins. Um, well, I guess they weren't unbeaten anymore this time last year, but you, you know, 11 win season. 71% of their trips to the red zone, they were scoring touchdowns. Uh, they converted, uh, they scored something on, on 90.3%. So 52 trips to the red zone, 47 times they got points out of that deal. 37 of those times they got touchdowns. And, and that's, that's two, that's two wins. I mean, this season, that's two wins. Yeah. That's winning the Indiana game. And, and granted, you know, one of those touchdowns they shouldn't have scored, uh, but that's winning the Indiana game. That's winning the Nebraska game. That's going for it in the red zone against Maryland very early in the game and then turning it around and, and, and going for the other way and, and going up 14 nothing. I mean, it's just, uh, inefficiency all over the place. And that's, you know, obviously a lot of that comes back to the quarterback, but it's been, it's been mind numbing just to watch, just to look at some of these stats and then to get deeper and deeper. Um, even with, with something like field position where you're, you know, basically yeah, <laughs> Jordan Stout has not had a kick return this year yet. Penn state is getting kind of handed it to that or handed to them on field position. Some, some of the stuff just doesn't make any sense. And, and it's, it doesn't make sense because it's, it's worked so well for, you know, relatively so long when, when Franklin's been the coach. Penn state over 70% in their touchdown conversion rate in the red zone each of the last three years. And, and as Sean alluded to, uh, significantly under 50% right now at, at this stage of the season. And, uh, well, that, that's, that's, that's a tough pull to swallow kind of going over. And that, that's one, it's one of those stats that is pretty hard to ignore. And, and something you mentioned there, one of those touchdowns is the Devin Ford touchdown. So what the hell does that tell you about where things are going right now in the red zone for Penn State? And, and quickly going back to something you mentioned, three consecutive games where the opponent scores in their opening drive. That has been the snowball effect that you talked about. It's been the that team scores, Penn State takes over, finds a way to give the ball back. Two times it was turnover on downs. Last week it was an interception from Sean Clifford. And then the team produces the opponent produces points again on a consecutive possession. You were down 14 nothing in that scenario against both Maryland and Ohio State at home. Last Saturday, you were down 10 nothing against Nebraska. That's where you wonder that not that the turnover on downs was attributed necessarily to Clifford. Uh, but if you can have some better early offensive efficiency uh, combined with some defensive stops, I mean, nothing would probably make fans feel a little bit of relief as seeing Iowa leave the field by virtue of a punt to start the game on. I don't know if it, would you rather. I don't know if, if Penn State fans would rather see uh, the pen, the defense come out with a three and out stop or Penn State produce points in the first drive. I, I, I don't know which will be better. You want to see them both. But right now, you ne- almost need one as much as you need the other. They did both against Indiana. And that's the thing that, that is crazy. You went back and looked at it. They had that seven-minute drive where they got Way points back against when. Indiana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they come out. Joey Porter has that sack off the edge. And, I mean, it, totally not indicative of how the rest of that game would go. But, man, it was just like – 
what what is going on and and that's that's what makes it so difficult when you're trying to diagnose what's wrong with this team is it's just been it's been so all over the place that you really don't have any sort of sense of where the actual shortcomings are coming from and it's been uh, it's been tough to sort of watch and it's been tough to handle but uh you know hopefully these stats can can do some of the storytelling for us not for the faint of art but you can parse through these a bit more up on the site sean has uh, this piece up going through the stats that have helped lead to zero and four for penn state by the way, we also have a full press conference video of James Franklin from Tuesday talking about the quarterbacks, talking about everything else going around this program for about 40 minutes or so, um, accessible up on lines 24-7 right now. Um, Sean, switching gears to the recruiting trail, uh, there is a 24-7 sports update due out on Wednesday that is relating to this uh, 2021 recruiting class, and we're really closing, uh, we're, I think we're under five weeks now, uh, closing in on the early signing period for college football, and what a bummer it is for so many of these guys not getting to utilize official visits. Uh, not going to happen before the February signing period either, as it turns out. Um, tricky to wrap your head around. Um, one thing that, that I'll give our rankings council credit for is how engaged they are with coaches, with people across the country, um, and being able to evaluate these kids even when they're not putting together full high school seasons. So very curious to see what the rankings council comes out with their updated rankings. It sounds like there is certainly uh, we're on watch for some of these Penn State commits to be on the rise. Um, Brian Doan uh, wrote up a, a couple stock up players, Lonnie White, Nate Bruce. Uh, he also mentions Khalil Dinkins as well. Um, that's good news. I mean, people are, people are frustrated by this class. I think there's still some trepidation about getting to the finish line with these guys on board the longer you go without winning games and looking good on the field. But, you know, turns out some of those earlier evaluations, you're going to start to maybe see uh, some matching up a bit more with what Penn State coaches saw early on the trail. And, and given the, I guess, the entire year as a whole in terms of evalu- evaluations, no camps in the spring and summer, very few camps in the spring, no camps in the summer. I think you're going to see some drastic changes, I guess, especially across the country of guys that are playing their senior year that have, you know, busted out, that have done some some developing when we haven't seen them. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing here. Lonnie White is going to get a big bump. We had Doan on last week talking about how he can, you know, potentially make a, a jump, maybe even to the top 100. And by the way, these will come out on Wednesday. We just do one rankings release on 24-7 Sports anymore uh, per month. Um, so just to keep uh, keep everything in order. But Lonnie White, man, you look at his senior tape and hasn't played a ton of games, but just uh, it's just a difference. I mean, the last tape that we have of him as a, as a receiver was essentially him as a sophomore. It's just so much difference in that to his junior and then that to his senior film. We know what a, ba- a ba- baseball player he is. He's a great basketball player as well. Great body control, great uh, athletic ability and everything. I mean, he's just running games right now, playing from a wildcat quarterback, playing at receiver, just be, kind of being all over the place. Um, you can easily, easily pick out where Lonnie White is, uh, you know, whenever you pop any tape in. So I think that's one thing, one reason to see his stock really going very high. Moving on to Nate Bruce, and I mentioned this on a podcast a, a month or two ago. This was a guy that Penn State staff wanted to see as a senior more than anybody because they they are in, extremely high on this guy. Um, we weren't as high. I think he's got him. Uh, we we have him as a mid three star or something like that. Um, you know, he's got some work to do on his body. He's got some some rawness to him all over the place, but. Came out and had a really good four games for uh, for Harrisburg. Unfortunately, their season ended the way it did. They couldn't make playoffs because of COVID. But uh, it's been uh, 
It's been really interesting to, to track his progress over the last couple of years, and certainly um, they're excited about him as an interior prospect. Khalil Dinkins, the third guy, I think Doan talked about him on the podcast last week as well. Really, really wants him to be a linebacker because that's probably where his top uh, his top potential spot is. So I think we see him, uh, you know, pick up an athlete tab. I still believe he's going to be a tight end at Penn State. He's going to get every chance to be a tight end at Penn State, but he's the type of guy you put him on the defensive side of the ball. You got, I think you got yourself something to work with there. So all three of those guys are up. Um, I, I'm excited to see if Kalen King gets a bump. He's a guy that personally I, I would rank higher um, just based off of what I've seen and watching that Cast Tech versus uh, King game earlier this year really, really brought into to, to the scope how good Kalen King is. So I, I think Wednesday will be a productive day for, for Penn State's class of 2021. Obviously, they're not going to add uh, numbers to it, but when the, anytime those rankings go up, uh, you know, you, you see that them move throughout the uh, the team rankings. So excited to see where they land. I haven't actually haven't gotten the uh, the top 247 update yet myself, but uh, I think Penn State... I did. Oh, oh you did? I should probably check my work email. I'll show you, I'll show you, to you later. I should yeah. probably <laughs> check my work email at some point. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's going to be a positive day uh, for Penn State. Um, rankings don't matter until they benefit your team and make you look a little bit better, right? That, that's when rankings do matter, when the perception favors you. And I think it'll be a, a day where Penn State would be happy to point to the rankings on Wednesday and a nice little bit of a, a positive boost uh, for a 2021 recruiting class that I know has a lot of folks on online 24-7 not feeling so great about the trajectory of Penn State. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see some of the these guys uh, play football this 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 fall. Landon Tengwall, the top ranked member of this class on the offensive line, Christian Veyu really could have benefited from from playing a senior season at quarterback and continuing his development. But uh, great to see those guys in Michigan. They got a late jump on it now. Now that that season's been kind of crushed up in Michigan again. Uh, Pennsylvania guys got to play some football. Uh, it's been a bit of a mess, I think, for administrators, for coaches, for players, and, and everybody trying to get high school seasons together. But uh, important for development, important for our ability at twenty four seven sports to get a feel for these guys. And you mentioned that athlete label maybe being applied to uh, to Dinkins moving forward. It was applied to Lonnie White, and and I think, man, it really translates what you can imagine him doing at the wide receiver position this kid is gliding he goes up uh his extension for the football i i think he's every bit of a four star and i'm really curious uh to see how people react to where he lands uh, on wednesday and the other wide receiver you've got two wide receivers on board compared to that five player class of the position last week this is one that you kind of feel like you're walking on eggshells talking about it now because it's liam clifford and considering what's going on with his brother on campus currently it's a little tricky now um, just to talk about it, but I, you got to give him plenty of props. Uh, a former guest of the podcast here on Lines 24-7 uh, went out, completed that mission to match Sean and, and with a state championship of his own. Clifford finished at St. Xavier his last game at the high school level, winning the state championship in Ohio. Liam Clifford does the same thing this past weekend uh, in the regional championship game during the path. He caught a game-winning touchdown in the final minute. Back in October, we highlighted his 300-yard performance. That was right before he came on the podcast, I think. Ends up finishing his career, Sean, with more than 160 career catches, more than 2,500 career receiving yards, 30 touchdowns, and he didn't really start to make that kind of noise. And as he told us on the podcast, didn't really feel like he was a full-fledged receiver until really the junior going into senior year because he was at quarterback, he played a little defensive back. I really like where this kid is coming together. He also got that four-star bump over the course of the season. And if these are the two receivers you're able to bring in in 2021 and add that to the young group that you just acquired uh, earlier this year in 2020, I mean, that, that's that's a really nice foundation to work with for Taylor Stubblefield. 
Yeah, you just look back to this cycle and think back to Dante Thornton and Caden Prather who's committed to West Virginia and Jaleel Farouk who's committed to Oklahoma. Those were the three guys that you kind of centered on. It went in a different direction, but I tell you what, it, it, you'd be hard-pressed to trade Lonnie White for any of those guys. So, I mean, I think that they certainly are um, you know, still doing well, of course, in the 2022 class. They've got two receiver commits as well, still working on some guys there. So, Stubblefield really seems to have, have turned it around, and that's uh, you know it's it, it, we talk about his on-field coaching prowess and his technical technical label and everything like that. They seem to have taken to that already. The guys that are on campus, so you know, hopefully that uh, for for his sake, it continues in that in that direction. And then you've got Caden Wallace, Anthony Ivy, another four-star pair following up in the 2022 class. So a lot of good things brewing at wide receiver right now for Penn State. If you're looking for silver linings, there is one to spotlight. Uh, Sean, five-star mailbag time. We've gotten a few uh, really good ones recently up on up on Apple Podcasts. Please contribute to that. You can talk about short-term, what's going on here in 2020, long-term, recruiting, whatever you want to throw our way. Drop that five-star rating and review and throw your question in there. Uh, we're going to get into this one from Alexia Grace, and she asks, Do you think the 2022 recruiting class will go hard after two premier running back prospects due to skipping 2021? Passing this over to you, Sean, and just reminding folks that just last week, you wrote about 2021 may not be a skip just yet. Yeah, I, I thought they were going to, obviously, with the scenario, how it played out this year that, you know, it would make sense. Um, so I think they're they're definitely going to take a running back or at least try to take a running back in 2021 now. I mean, it's just you, you can't go through this sort of thing again. I mean, it's so thin with what's out there. And it's, it's, it's an unfortunate situation, but it has opened your eyes and it did happen early enough that you kind of catch yourself in this 2021 cycle. So they offered to shun Morrell. They're looking at a couple other guys as well, but I uh, want to get Morrell up as the priority target. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, UCLA I, that, commit, as you've mentioned in the past, uh, yes. but out of Alabama. So it's a weird correlation there. You know, that whole backcountry Alabama, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's out there. I mean, he's Bibb County. He's out there and uh, LA seems a bit far away, but uh, anyway, regardless, great kid, um, you know, great. Another big week in the playoffs this week. But the question is, about uh, 2022. Yeah, I, I do see them going after two in 2022. Um, you know, you get a little bit more space between some of those guys. I think that was probably the plan to begin with. You take two in, in each of the last two classes kind of provides or, or in theory it provides a log jam didn't really happen that way um with the way that uh, that, that, that injuries and, and things have played out uh but at the same time i mean you got a great crop of 2022s i you know i, I like what's uh, what's out there it sort of prioritized a few guys nick singleton in Reading has been a guy that they've been very high on he was up for a visit uh, earlier in the fall uh just to check things out um, a couple guys down in in, uh, in excuse me in virginia george petaway ramon Brown, Brown are priorities for Penn State. Uh, Omari and Hampton in North Carolina is a guy that uh, you know Penn State really, really likes. He's a big back that's really athletic, a guy that uh, you know you could see fitting into to what they're trying to do. But they've got a ton of lines in the water. I mentioned in my chat this week. I mean, they're all over the country. Cider with 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 Jaywan Sider obviously got the Florida label, but at the same time, I mean, looking at him as a recruiter, there's a reason he's been so, so successful, and he just keeps up contact with everybody, and that's guys from Nevada, obviously guys from Florida, California, uh, Arlen Harris out in Missouri is a guy that they're they're after as well, but just kind of keep all those lines in the water, and and there's a bunch of guys out there that they would take right now. I, I mentioned those four. I've kind of focused in on uh, the two the two Virginia kids, Singleton and. And uh, and the other one uh, from from North Carolina, Hampton from North Carolina. But there's a lot of guys that they would take right now, just because there's a there's a ton of really good running backs in 2022. 
Arlen Harrison, uh, Arlen Harris out of Missouri, um, recently put Penn State in his top group. His uncle, Aaron Harris, wasn't a big name to me. I, I don't have a, a, a long-term knowledge of Penn State coming here just a few years ago, but I wrote up a story right after that offer and right after some thoughts for, from Arlen Harris. Didn't realize how well-respected his uncle was, and it sounds like one of those what-if kind of careers with Aaron Harris uh, at running back at, at Penn State, so that's an interesting connection. And the other kid that just put out a top list that featured Penn State, uh, Jabron Payne um, out of the Cincinnati area in Ohio, a kid that Caden Saunders mentioned to us back when he committed in the summer as as an early priority for, for him. So we're not lacking for names here. Oftentimes, you're not this early in the cycle, but Running back's a spot where you log jam or not, you can point to the fact that both those true freshmen, each of those two-man classes, they got their opportunities. Devin Ford, Noah Kane, both had opportunities to play pretty extensive football, certainly more Noah Kane than Devin Ford in their first year on campus. And uh, as we saw on Saturday, you're, you're getting an opportunity to really see what Keziah Holmes and Kevon Lee can do in a year where there are no red shirts applied, but with the injuries, they would have played anyway. So while you guys can say, hey, there's a lot of there's a lot of players here, you might see a log jam. We're going to play it if you're good enough, and, and, and you're going to find a path to the football field. So I think Jay Wan Sider is, is the one thing he's going to be frustrated by is, is being able to, to get a pecking order with these running backs. Because as he told us last week, for him, he's an in-person guy. He wants to see him on the practice field, see him on game day. That kind of allows him to know this kid may not be what we're looking for. This kid belongs higher up on, on, on our board. That's tough to do right now. And with all the names we mentioned, that can – you know, create some tricky circumstances if, 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 uh, you know, a kid wants to commit to you and maybe you want to hold out for someone else. You know, there's a lot of stuff to, to go through, but it's a good spot to be in at running back for Penn State in that 2022 cycle, it would appear. And on top of that, I believe Singleton and White are the only ones that have been on campus. So that's another tough one to say. You, you mentioned wow. going out and seeing those guys with spring evaluation period in person and games and things like that. And that's one thing, but you, you haven't been around them at all. And that's, uh, that's crazy to think about, especially. Especially, you know, when this this class is going to hit the ground running and they can't take visits until April 15th or that weekend, at least now. And that might even be just a placeholder, um, you know, ban for visits right now. So it's going to be really interesting how, how see how that one comes together. But a lot of good names on that board. Can we just hold out hope that these 2022 prospects get to visit campuses, get to use official visits, and vice versa? We uh, Please let, let things clear up for this 2022 class so they're not in the same position that we see the 2021 class in. Otherwise, we all got bigger issues uh, going on across the country, if that's the case. Um, so some recruiting there to finish things off. A few positive notes as well. Hopefully that kind of balances out some of those uh, sad statistics that we reeled off with, with Sean. Quarterback conversation is going to be ongoing throughout the week. We have a content up that on, on, on that on lines 24-7. And check the site out on Wednesday. That is when the new rankings update will come through. We'll spotlight what it means for some of those Penn State commits and kind of how they're now thought of by this 24-7 Sports Rankings Council. And you can dive into all the VIP content that comes with something like that and that comes with a conversation at quarterback like Penn State. What's going on behind the scenes with our message board conversations right now? 50% off through the end of the week. If you've been on the monthly track and, and you're ready to dive in, this is a good opportunity, a full-fledged annual subscription for 50%. I know it's a tough time. It's a tough ask uh, for that with where Penn State's at, but we're going to keep covering recruiting the best we can. We're going to keep uh, get bringing you the Penn State nuggets that you're not going to see in a lot of our free material, a lot of that happening behind the board. So, Sean, I threw out the pitch on behalf of us. Not an easy pitch to make at 0-4, uh, but we're going to get back with these folks later in the week. Anything else to, to throw on the pile before we step away in this one? 
No, not really. It's going to snow outside and it's going to be bright and be 60 by the end of the week. So yeah, it's pretty much par for the course for November and it's Iowa week. So it makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back with you next uh, next episode with a Iowa insider. We'll get some perspective on the Hawkeyes coming in with a two-game win streak. Of course, they have a six-game losing streak against the Denny Lions, but hard to lean on that recent history for Penn State in 2020. Stay with us. Enjoy all the coverage at Lions 24-7. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you soon.